0: All right, hello everyone. This is Scott McTemer with What's New in Adaptive Physical Education, and uh, we have the second episode of a two part series where we're talking about service learning. Uh, in adaptive physical education, and we also talk about uh, practicum experiences throughout the states in APE, as well as our discussion, we'll actually start talking a little bit about the idea versus about inclusion versus segregated experiences for students with disabilities, uh, interestingly enough. Well, so, you know, to reintroduce this topic, we talked with Dr. Monica Lapore who's a professor at Westchester University in Pennsylvania in APE and in disability studies. And she went across the nation and she traveled to eight different practicums in college settings, which are where we have kids with disabilities come into the colleges and have undergraduates work with them. And she looked at them and saw the different experiences. And she's going to talk a little bit more about some of those experiences throughout our podcast as well as, you know, some of the the positives that she saw and maybe some areas of improvement. And also, like I said, I think we have a really interesting piece at the end of our discussion about the idea that these programs are segregated in nature. And, you know, is that a positive, negative, or why? And is that, you know, what we want to see in the future? So one other thing I was going to actually kind of tie into this introduction is Right now, I'm uh, finishing my dissertation. Woo! And uh, we'll be done probably in the next month or so, month and a half. And um, I'm transitioning to be an assistant professor next year at the University of Northern Iowa. Woo! Let me give a second woo to that. <laughs> but um, I'm excited, and uh, you know, last weekend, um, I sat down with my wife as well as one of my new colleagues that will be at the university who's in charge of the service learning program at uh, the University of Northern Iowa. And my wife actually has uh, prior experience in service learning and uh, in the nonprofit se- sector and helping uh, facilitate high school students with different you know, programs and such in, in their communities to be active learners in their communities. And I got to sit down for about two hours with the service learning director, and I really just learned of the opportunity that's out there that I really didn't know existed, uh, which Monica talks about throughout this, these two episodes, um, and I think they're, they're available to more than just at the university level. Um, I learned that at the uh, public school systems uh, that I'm going to, they have service learning liaisons that work with the community and such to make sure that there's service learning uh, occurring and then it happens at every single grade level too but what that means for them is like that they're you know actively going out into the ymca systems and learning how to use the equipment uh learning some of the different programs and utilizing some of the different programs and or helping to facilitate some of those programs in their own settings so And the service learning people end up helping to coordinate that, how to best utilize those systems, and also kind of, you know, can provide funding, Uh, so it just, and a lot of like additional resources. So I just had that conversation while I was editing this last episode, so I thought I'd share that because I thought it had some interest and bearing to what we're talking about. So with that, we're going to get started with the conversation with Dr. Lepore and I. All right. So you get your former students to come back in. And, and how do you feel like, are you, is it a motivation thing? Like, do you, how do you feel like you're reaching out to them that they would come back and give you at that time to you?
1: That's a really great question. So I want you to think about all volunteerism. Okay. What makes volunteers come back? And that is, is an exciting piece of this service learning thing is to yeah. continue to look at so what makes college age students come back the thing that is motivational for them is for me to remind them that I can't write them a letter of recommendation unless I know them very well that's a little motivational three the whole idea that I'm going to give you something for your portfolio, either a letter or a certificate, and it's going to prove that you have all of these hours. Another thing that that is almost more important than all of those, no, it is more important, not almost more important, is the fact that you treat people with respect and kindness that you say that... I can't do this without you. Without you, I can't run these programs. Um, not suggesting at all that I coddle my undergraduates who come back. They get, you know, they get the stern look and the, and you know, you're not doing a great job right now discussion, but you know, the fact that it's like a team you don't just join a team to win a prize. You join a team because it's a group of like-minded people who want to change the world with you. And that's what gets these volunteers to come back. Um they know that we are changing the world, one child, one young adult at a time, and they are thrilled to be part of it. Yeah, I, I feel I feel that we really have Uh, A really good crew. And I could see that in other places also. I I definitely see that in other, in the places where I went, this group, this cadre of undergrads and or grads who are thrilled to get together and provide this service because this is what they want to do with the rest of their life. They found out about it. They're excited. I did find out also what's really interesting is that... The students who are in the service learning programs, um, all of them who are in the introduction kind of classes, they are all as overwhelmed as my students. So the first three and four weeks, they're just like deers in headlights. They are like trying to manage the child's physical skills and their cognitive learning and their positive behavior support plan and... S- They're trying to do what they're supposed to do on their lesson plan and they're, it's, it's overwhelming. Uh, so I think one of the things we need to do is continue to do better at introducing this, the, our undergraduates to the process as best we can with whatever tools we have. Uh, You know, the, the manual, the, Um, I, two of the, the universities had really cool, like nine minute videos that were from last semester. And here's what your peers did last semester.
0: I, you know, I I think that's an important, really important thing that I haven't heard many people talk about is that feeling of being overwhelmed from the students, especially at first. I, I, what you like to see, you see a lot of frustration and overwhelming in that first few weeks. And you hope that you know, the last half that they're really happy. And, you know, you see that as well. But I do worry about sometimes what we don't want to do, because we're taking this huge role of of introducing people to people with disabilities, where a lot of them haven't had that. So we're taking that role. And what we don't want is we don't want people to, to walk away and say, well, I can never do that, or I hated that. Um, We don't want that. And I think I have seen, you know, it's usually a very small minority, but usually in almost all of our classes, we have a handful that come out and I don't think that they've enjoyed their experience. And that's something we need to be very cognizant of.
1: So I'm going to tell you about this project that is a little bit off topic, but it's a project I did about three or four years ago. We kept hearing from the parents, see, because our, oh, that was another thing, Scott, that was a little different about the programs. Some come during the day with their teachers and some of them are at night. So our programs are all revolved around that my students get face-to-face with parents because that's part of kind of like our learning. That's part of the learning experience. And it's even part of like, The, you know, putting that into our whole teacher ed program, you don't get a chance to talk to parents about anything during a teacher ed program, except in our adaptive PE. So anyway, the parents keep saying, where do you find these young people? They're so caring. They're so loving. And I'm like, I wonder if they come to us as caring and loving, compassionate people, or did we turn them into that? So we did this kind of, you know, data collection and we asked one question a week for 10 weeks. And I have 400 pieces of data just sitting there in my computer waiting to something to happen to it. But we asked questions like this. Tonight, during your experience with your child or young adult, when did you have to be compassionate How did you become a compassionate and what do you think you could do better to be compassionate? Uh Another question was, how, well, not how, did you have to be forgiving tonight? Did you have to forgive your participant for doing something that may have not been very nice? They spit at you. They threw something at you. They ran away. They said, no. Whatever it was, did they do something that you had to forgive them, let it go, and next week make believe that you didn't have that experience in your heart? Don't make believe it didn't happen, but how do you get past forgiving and then keep going? So we had one question like that about love, forgiveness, compassion, um, and it was a real eye-opener for my students to reflect on those things. Uh, we had a, a really nice grant that we were able to be able to um, make a manual and stuff like that on, uh, it's called Love and Forgiveness in Adapted Physical Education. It was really interesting because our students that semester felt a whole lot more connected to their participants than just asking them, what did you do tonight to be a better teacher? Really interesting. And I guess I would call that values-based education. Um, I think that will continue to be something that we should reflect on that we're really not because every university, when I ask them questions like, what are the goals that you would like to accomplish? Every single one of them said they want their students to be able to accept people with disabilities and be able to feel good about when they walked, rolled, or crutched into class that they would be able to be accepting, and matter of fact, and we're not measuring that.
0: No, I I, I doubt we are. That's a really nice uh, point. I like that whole values based education I, I I could continue going off topic on that and uh, might not make the podcast but just uh, I think that's a, such an important uh, piece and I I had a conversation with a guy about six months ago I, I, I seem to have these like one like I, I have like a half hour conversation with people sometimes and I don't ever see them again or something like that and it changes everything for me but he um, His whole research base is on um, changing uh, education, our, our view of education from being um, the last 20 years just being straight on. I want a job and I want the tools to make me a good professional, right? Mm-hmm. Versus before that, we saw education a lot more as it helps me grow as a person. And this is something that makes me a better person. And sure. I think... I even, we, uh, this is a nice talk for me to reflect on because, uh, Friday was my last day at the practicum at TW because I'm, I'm leaving after this as well. So, um, like I, you know, I was really emotional as well as I talked to the students and I said, you know, my last thing to take away is I said, you know, more than just, I hope that you all learned how to work with people with disabilities, but I also hope that you recognize that you worked with a person And each one of those people had a unique personality and experience and you look like you built a relationship with a person and just, I want you to reflect just on that.
1: Um, Just for, for the end point of that, even though we of course didn't have the answer to the question of do students, undergrads come to me with the ability to have that in their heart already, or how is it developed um, the, the bottom line is that it's the, the connection with a person with a disability in a supportive environment, in an emotionally safe environment and the connection with the family. that those are the three com- top things that really came out that it was the the experience working in a longer-term, not a one-shot deal, a long-term experience with a person with a disability, having an emotionally safe environment for that to occur, and the meeting their families and to feel part of that family's success. One of the things that I wanted to share with you also um, has to do with... Um, this whole idea about where these practicum programs should take place. So we know that all of our national certification bodies don't think anything takes place unless it's in the public schools. So none of the data that we collect on campus is allowed to get our national certification. Um, Because the, you know, the certification agencies believe that that's a contrived place. Okay. So I asked every single person that I met over the last four months, why are you still doing programs like this? There's, they're just people with disabilities and our college students In a contrived controlled setting and every one of them is committed to continuing these programs because of the control that they can have of the first experience. Going back to that high idea that the first experience should take place in an emotionally safe environment for our undergraduate students to be able to explore their personality, explore their teaching style, explore differentiations without somebody grading that. Um, But all of them felt that they will still continue these programs um, as the first step, as long as we're not looking at this as the only experience that you get, that this is the, this is like a ladder. And this is the first step on the ladder. And the second step would be going to practicum out in the field. And the third step would be student teaching that we, uh, everyone still is convinced that this is what they still want to do. Um, They, I'm trying to look at some of the great things that they said, um, back to me, they were really, um, you know, they were just really good things that they felt that, um, some of them felt that the timing like during class was really important. Uh, their half of the practicum experiences that I saw were during a class time during the day like on a Tuesday morning, on a Wednesday, a Friday morning. Um, And they felt that for the timing of their college students, that their college students sometimes can't get to an experience somewhere else. So that was one of the things that they felt that for their own college students, that it was important to create on-campus experiences.
0: I feel like something that comes up often, because we have one where the schools come in to TWU, and they get really excited, um, the school and the students, because they're on a college campus, Mm -hmm. and that seems like a really big thing where they go, oh my goodness, like I, um, and so they get really excited about that, because that's kind of an experience in itself for students is to be, I don't think I ever was on a college campus until I was in college, you know, so.
1: Um, The other thing, Scott, that they said, besides the convenience to the college students and their schedule, um, another, and like you mentioned that they're, you know, that young people get to come on a college campus um, is, you know, everybody said that, they like the level of control that they can show their undergrad students what is quality, that quality control. That's what most people felt that they would like to have the first experience have a, some level of quality control. Um, also, determining who comes to the program was important, they felt. Um, you know, if I could have probably... 100 young people with Down syndrome in my program. I'm very connected to the Down syndrome community in our county, but that does not serve my undergraduates well. I need to have a group of kids with autism, a group of kids who have multiple disabilities, a group of young young students who have just physical disabilities. So the amount of control of who comes so that my students can get a variety of experiences kind of as important. Other co- um, college uh, university professors told me that they also want to control the curriculum. You know, as much as we'd like to say there's no dodgeballs in the school, there's dodgeball in the school somewhere. And that is not going to be something that our university students are going to learn from us. That's for sure. Um, yes. Is that contrived? Yeah, it's contrived. Um, But again, just going back to the point that we're introducing, we're introducing, this is what we'd like to introduce you to. Um, So a lot of other faculty felt that the supervision of children uh, was important to them um, from the standpoint of they want their undergraduates to be able to see them in a teaching role. You know? I can talk all I want in the classroom, but I don't have any street creds unless my students see me handle a meltdown, handle a seizure, get a child into the pool who is refusing to go in the pool. Um, Their braces fall off, their hearing aid goes to the bottom of the pool. How do I react to all of these experiences? is really, really important, not only for the role modeling, but for the fact that my students believe me when I tell them stuff now. They believe me when I say, you got to do this assignment because it's going to be like the, 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 the thin line between whether you're going to be successful or not. Um, and also another, I'm looking at my notes here, um, that one of the, no, a few of the University people felt there's not enough sites to have all their university students go to where they would be able to have the same experiences that they get. So that was kind of interesting because I was a little bit worried. I, You know, I have a lot of colleagues who are still kind of chipping at me saying stuff like, why are you holding segregated programs? Like, that's not real. That's not realistic. And my... My comeback to that is I offer an option. My option is available to people who feel like they want to have this option. And the option is so that I can teach skills in maybe a more controlled environment and then gradually add the other environments to it. So a success, let's talk about a success recently, so I have been a Special Olympics coach, and I train my students to be Special Olympics swim coaches, and we have a really great swim team. And recently, I spoke to those young kids who are you know, going into the high school, and I told them that I'd like to see them try out for their high school swim team a little background stuff where like I contacted the athletic director, letting them know this is coming. And I really wanted them to be supportive, but I was here for them. And last year I had, you know, three special Olympians from my swim team swim in their high school swim, swim teams. Now I'm not sure they would have gone from zero to high school swim team without the one-on-one attention they got in the more controlled environment. Mm -hmm. I want them to be included. That is social justice. That's my goal. I'd like to be put out of business. But the fact of the matter is, we have these programs that are options for families in the community that would like to have their children here. And the goal is to get them out into the communities with skills that we teach them. And our university students need to know that this is one piece of their life. This should not be their life, just being in the gym with me and other kids like them. They need to go be with the whole world. But I also have an option for myself. I am a recreational triathlete. I choose to be on a women's triathlon team. You know, that's, that's my choice it's not, this is what you have to do. So I think people are still, you know, doing these kinds of service learning programs. Um, They talked a little bit about what are some things they'd like to have. Um, A lot of the things they'd like to have involves sharing gym and pool and field time with others. You know, they'd like to be able to have some more control over when they can have programs. You know, they want the water warmer in the pool or they want, you know, some kinds of equipment that might be better. Um, But in general, everyone is just works on what they have.
0: I want to go back to that inclusion versus segregated thing just because it's not what we're talking about right now, but I try not to shy away from these difficult conversations on this podcast. And um, just to me, I think you bring up something that I've been surprised it hasn't come up much at my tenure at TWU. We haven't talked about it with the students. We talk about inclusion. We talk about segregation. We don't talk about it in relation to our practicum experience. Um, and actually, when I was at Wayne State, we had a, a night program where parents came in and brought their kids. And we actually did multiple days where they brought in siblings, or we brought in typically developing peers. So we did days where there were inclusion, or there's mm-hmm. peer modeling, really. Um, right. So you know, and I think, and you talked about quality control versus authenticity. Um, and I think that's a really unique thing. You also talked about choice, because is it really a uh, is it really a bad thing, or is there something? Pr- a, problem with it if there's a choice in the matter if you say I want to be in a segregated setting even though you probably wouldn't use those terms um right. yeah like that that's a choice and that we want still those choices to be available and I just
1: a more res- a more restrictive environment right? yes
0: and I think that's uh, I think it's a really interesting question and I think it's something to even just ask our undergrads about in a class like what we're talking about what did do you think that was good? What do you think about that? Because I think that question of inclusion and segregation, even in the school districts, I think is still a very, um, I think every school district definitely functions differently on that. And at TWU, yes. we, we get our classes from segregated classes at from the school districts. So they're coming right. in just as they normally, they're, they're going to go to their PE classes in a segregated right. form, most of them. Um, so, but I think it's a, that's a very interesting question to to pose to kind of everybody. And then what you also stated, just kind of trying to restate some of these things is that you also stated that, and I think that's also really interesting is that, and I I think this is the whole question of inclusion versus more one-on-one is skill. You're probably going to earn more skills or gain more maybe not all skills, but you're going to gain certain skills in a more one-on-one controlled setting. And that might be true for all of us to a degree.
1: And when I ask, when I ask parents about it, because you know, I ask them too. So why do I do what I do is because families ask me to do it. And that's a really important thing because I am also a disability studies professor Disability studies and a separate, more restrictive environment clash, big time clash. So I was at a conference last week and that came up and somebody asked me point blank. I don't understand how you're doing Special Olympics. Doesn't that clash with your disability studies philosophy? I said, yup. And they said, why do you do it? I said, because the families asked me to do it. And they said, that's the best answer you could have probably given me Um, because they were ready for a good fight. And I was ready for it too. I'm not ready for a fight. I was definitely ready for a good discussion because every day I have to think about that. I am an adapted physical education professional. As I am that professional, every day I have to wake up and I have to live with, with the philosophy that I have in my heart. What is best for every single different student that I come up with? And if a parent says to me, my child has failed at general swim lessons, they will not do what we're asking them to do. They have too many kids and my kid is holding their ears, rocking and crying on the bleachers. There's no other opportunities for this kid. Would you please start a special Olympics program? I have to admit I'm not going to say, sorry, it's not part of my philosophy because my philosophy is each person is unique. What does that person need today? They might not need it tomorrow, but what do you need today? And that is what I am supposed to give you within the realm of safety, best practice, things like that. So that's my philosophy. And, and sure, do I want to never have a separate, more restrictive program? Of course I don't. I want to have everybody in the natural proportions in the world. But in reality, the families are begging for stuff for their kids that don't exist. And I feel that as a professional, I am responding to their need.
0: Definitely. Definitely, and and I I do think that you had something with the idea that of choice of, of just choice because there is something to be said about being around people that have gone through similar struggles as you or um, I you know I know that I used to work with a lot of kids with muscular dystrophy they went to a muscular dystrophy camp because uh-huh. nobody could relate to them except for at this camp um, so I think that there is a you know there there's I think that's a I think it's an interesting thing to really um, talk about and to really think about when you're when we're planning these programs as well. Is, and I don't personally, and I, we haven't really had the conversation uh, with our undergrads about, you know, is this an inclusive program? And what are the benefits and what are the negatives? And what would you like to see?
1: In one of our, pro, well, in, in three of the f- four practicums, We have some inclusion, I guess you would call it, okay? It depends, it's it's not true because it's not natural proportions, but so for example, we invite the brothers and sisters of the youngest kids to participate in our Intro to Adapted PE. So in our youngest kid gym, which is like six to 11 year olds, we have the same number of Brothers and sisters, as we do of kids with disabilities. Okay. But that's only in that gym because in the other gyms, you know, when we have a 14 and a 15 year old, their skills are so different that these, that it's really hard for my undergraduates to differentiate up. They're okay with the modifications, but they're having trouble with a higher level um, highly skilled person in the space that we have. That's an, that's the issue. Um, two of our three Special Olympics teams are unified, so we have people without disabilities playing on the same thing. Especially our little kids. We have eleven young people who play Special Olympics soccer, and um, seven of them have. Disabilities and the rest don't. So, we do have a very inclusive experience there. Um, But you're right, we really still have to keep this on our agenda to discuss about, you know, are we still continuing to meet the needs? Not only, you know, when we look at service learning, we have to look at the serving the people out in the community, and are we still meeting the needs of people who are undergrad students? Because we can have this discussion and have five people on this conference discussion and half of them or more than half will say that that's not, it's not inclusive. Therefore it's not appropriate. And therefore they need to be out in the public schools all the time. So, you know, we could have that discussion and we would have to probably agree to disagree.
0: Yeah, no. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm all about doing it at a, a college setting. I really, I don't have a, issue with that, especially when, I mean, for us, like I said, we're getting kids that are in segregated classes coming to us. So if we went into the public school system, it wouldn't be vastly different. Um, but my, I have, I'm going to ask you two more questions and then I won't take any more of your time, but I want to know like if there was any themes that you saw that made one program or a few programs may be more successful in your eyes than others. And you don't have to name names, obviously, but like, is there anything that you saw that made a program stand out?
1: Well, I might have more than one quest, one answer to that. So I'm thinking about when I went to visit a program, what are some of the things that popped out at me that I said, I think this is a successful program. One of the things was when the college professors explained the why to things, like why we have to write things down, why do we have to put stuff over there, why do we have to tell the parent that we're going to do that, why do we have to wear a uniform? I felt like when a when I heard... A professor talking about the why of what they were doing. I felt like, oh, that's the good. That's what we need. That's what the service learning piece is about. The why and the how, the how, the how also. Um, I also felt that a program was successful when students came up to the professor a lot. That meant that the professor made it clear that they are the resource, that that is the right thing to do. You should come to me when you have a question about what's happening or why that's not working. Or when a, pro- a student called the professor over and said, do you think you could help us figure out? Mm-hmm. Like that, I was like, that's a great program. When a professor could make the environment such that the students felt that they could ask that question. Um, I also felt that a program like stood out in my mind when they did some really great debriefing. So I think that I need to do the debriefing better because I have 50 students who are finished their hour and a half, and how do I debrief 50 students? You know, I, I I put them in small groups and my more established undergraduates help me do the debriefing, but I don't feel like, I think everybody's ready to go at that point. Whereas two of the programs particularly, they went down the hall, and stood in a circle, and they didn't move until that debriefing was over. And I was thinking to myself, I am so impressed with this right now. I don't know how they get their students to not be looking at their watch and running out at 8 o'clock at night. Definitely. So I, I think debriefing probably is something that I felt was a hallmark of a really good program. Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. That's, that's a, that's, those are interesting takeaways. I like the debriefing goes right into the reflection piece and I'm, yeah, I think setting that expectation of just like, this is, we do this every time. It probably does take a few times. I don't know if you got to see it the first time it happened or probably saw it a few, few in is my guess. So that's, yeah, yeah. well then just the last thing I was going to ask you is like, what is your biggest takeaway from your adventure? And how do you think, um, you know, others can apply it, whether it be an APE teacher, another professor, an undergraduate student?
1: One of my takeaways is that I realize more now than I have that professional development doesn't all come from taking grad classes or reading an article or even going to a seminar professional development should be part of you visiting other professionals and learning their day-to-day things, what they struggle with, what they're successful with, and being able to take what you believe is important from each piece. So I think the takeaway, Scott, is professional development by visiting other professionals should not be misconstrued as just a little observation somewhere. It really has really enriched my thought process for continuing to um, educate the future teachers in health and physical education to be able to serve our kids with physical, cognitive, behavioral disabilities.
0: I I love that. I love that ending. That's That's a beautiful one. And I feel a kindred spirit on that one. Um, that that sometimes the best things we can do is just have a conversation and get to know other people that are in the same boat or similar boats as us. Yeah. Well, thank you, Monica, so much for coming on the show and uh, sharing your experiences today. Um, I hope that our listeners, you know, they listen, they can reflect on this and, you know, either maybe some of them are going to reflect and think about their own past experiences in different programs when they're in school or you know, think about even reaching out to colleges and getting their students involved and or you know, thinking about how they can improve their programs if they're in higher ed. So thank you Absolutely. once again.
1: You're welcome, and
0: uh, I will um... Thank you so much for listening to that great conversation with Dr. LeBor and I on service learning. And APE and practicums. I think there's a ton in there, and her experience was so unique. Uh, I just recorded a podcast two days ago with the National Center on Health, Physical Activity, and Disability uh, as well, and they're funded through the CDC, and they talked about all the different resources they have, how they're trying to grow, the research they're doing. So I really hope that's a great episode um, that will be coming out very shortly. So, with that, uh, stay tuned. I hope you all are getting ready for your summer breaks and have a great day.